Good morning. I'd like to welcome you back to another edition of our Anchored in the Word morning reflection and hope that you're having a great week and uh, hope that these uh, passages, this passage of scripture we're looking at and some of the contents that we're thinking about today and uh, over the last couple of days have been an encouragement to you. This morning we are back in the same text. I'm going to read it and then we're going to uh, continue on by looking at how God works in the world and how, though this is a broken world, God still is in charge. He governs it and he ultimately does it through his wisdom and by his power. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Tamar, and Phares begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nasan. Nassan begat Solomon, and Solomon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Jacob begat Joseph, the, the husband of Mary, verse 16, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations. And from David unto the carrying away unto, the, unto Babylon are fourteen generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put, a, put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, that shall call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Now, as we read these verses and as we think about the names, especially what we talked about yesterday, we see that the names that are mentioned, particularly the ladies that are mentioned in these passages, the mothers of members of the genealogy of Christ, these ladies uh, lived through some very difficult times and their stories were stories that we often overlook or don't want to think very deeply about that we find in the Bible. And that brings us this question. When we look at the world and the suffering and the sin and all the difficulties that we uh, know are a part of living in a fallen world, where is God in all this? Well, the answer is, I say simple, it's actually a complicated answer, but it is stated very simply, he's still in charge. Though this is a broken world, it is still governed by God. And God in his infinite wisdom and by his infinite power manages the decisions and the choices of people and guides them and moves them to an ultimate goal that will bring good and glory to all of us. In fact, I think about Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When we talk about all things, we're talking about all things. Now, he's not saying that all things are good or that all things are ultimately caused by God or that 
all things become good because they take place in God's world. He says all things work together for good. When you take all the pieces of how things play out, it ultimately will be something that brings about good and God uses it for his glory. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, the incarnation is perhaps one of the greatest examples in all of scripture of this simple fact. It says in Romans 5, 6, that when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son into the world. Now we see statements like in due time and in the fullness of time, what they tell us is that God had a plan. God was actually working behind the scenes through all the events of history to bring something about that was going to ultimately bring about redemption. He says, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And the question is, well, how does he do it? Well, he does it through the cross. He did this so that we could receive the adoption of sons. And we are sons of God, and he hath sent forth his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, we're no more servants, but sons, and if sons, then heirs of God through Christ. And so what we see in the incarnation, we see in the cross, is we see that God is bringing about his purpose of redeeming people to himself. And so even the sin of those who were a part of what ultimately led to the cross, even those sins did not thwart the plan of God. Romans 11 says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? When we talk about God's ways, they're really beyond our full ability to comprehend. And so God is able to take the broken pieces of the lives of the people that we read about in, the, in this genealogy and the stories behind those names, and he's able to use them to accomplish this beautiful and glorious and good purpose that ultimately displays how good he is, how almighty he is, how wise he is, and how truly gracious and kind he is. And I'll put it like this for each of them. Jacob's family was filled with rivalry, contention, deceit, immorality, bitterness, and none of those things were good. And none of those things were God's fault. They were the fault of the people who chose to sin. But what does God do? In spite of all of that, he uses these things to bring about a great nation, a great nation that would ultimately bring about the Savior, who would ultimately bring about redemption. And here we are as Christians embracing and enjoying the benefits of the Savior, who is the result of those stories. Or we think about Rahab. Her city was filled with immorality and idolatry. She made her living through the dishonoring of her own body. Yet God rescued this woman from a life of misery and idolatry and ultimately a terrible death with the destruction of her city. And God planted this woman in a family. And this woman becomes a part of the story of redemption. Or we look at the story of Naomi. Her family left Bab uh, Babylon, Bethlehem. And, and Bethlehem means the house of bread. 
And, and, and when they did that, they left the house of bread for Moab because of the terrible famine that was going on. Well, the reason that there was a famine in the land is because the people had rebelled against God. And part of the Mosaic Covenant was when they walked in disobedience, there would be consequences for those disobedience. And so Naomi goes to the land with her husband, with her boys, and ultimately her boys marry uh, those who are idolaters, and then her, her husband dies, her boys die, and she's left alone. Yet what happens? When Naomi returns to the land of her fathers, a broken widow, someone who is bitter and someone who is broken and someone who was wearied, God uses her Moabite daughter-in-law, someone who her son should not have even have married, technically speaking, okay? He used her, a broken vessel, to bring about a part of this glorious story. And, and, and so here is Ruth, who's a part of the story of David's life and a part of the story of, obviously, the Messiah. And then the last is the story of David committing the most treacherous sin imaginable, murder of his most valiant and trusted soldier, Uriah. He tries to cover his adultery through that. Um, yet God is merciful to him. He spares his life. And not only does he spare his life, but he allows him later on to father a child named Solomon through this woman Bathsheba, who God will love this child and God will bless this child and this child, Solomon, will be a part of the genealogy of Christ. The simple fact is that only God could turn these miserable stories into a glorious end. And so you ask, well, what do you take away from this? Well, what I take away from this is that when life is miserable and life seems barren and it seems like there's no hope, there actually is hope because there's a God of rich grace and a God of infinite wisdom and a God who is all-powerful. And he's able to do in this world things that you and I could not fully comprehend or we certainly would not have thought could happen. We have comfort as we experience pain because we recognize that God is with us and he cares about us and he's not done with us and he's continuing to work in our lives and through our lives. And we are encouraged that we can walk by faith in this life, even though there's a lot of darkness. And so I want to encourage you with those things. May we be a people that though we recognize it's a broken world, we also recognize it's governed by a wonderful God who is able to accomplish things through the circumstances of life that we would have never, ever been able to accomplish ourselves or even imagine ourselves. He is a God of rich grace. Hope that gives you something to think about this morning. Lord willing, tomorrow we'll continue this series. Have a blessed day. Bye now.